It's a brand new year. Things will be different. It won't be easy. But ABC 10 News is helping you prepare to take on these new challenges and make informed decisions for your family's journey. Safely back to school. ABC 10 News. Stories that matter. And welcome once again to our ABC 10 News Ask the Experts series. I'm Ben Higgins. It's Safely Back to School Week as we continue discussing issues uh, related to our kids getting back to school this fall, uh, especially during the pandemic. And uh, we've talked about a lot of pandemic-specific issues, including homeschooling uh, and distance learning in the past week and a half or so. Uh, but today we're really hitting the crossing point uh, where the two biggest stories of 2020 intersect. And that, of course, is the coronavirus global pandemic, and of course, uh, the racial justice uh, battle that we've been seeing going on, of course, in the headlines as well. And joining us today on our Ask the Experts series is uh, Interim Dean and Professor at the USD School of Leadership and Education, Dr. Joy Spencer uh, is with us. Dr. Spencer, it's a pleasure to have you today. Uh, real pleasure to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Uh, well, first of all, um, just as an educator, uh, kind of give me your perspective on where we are is, uh, you know, not not just elementary, high school, but also college students uh, and uh, advanced students try to get back to learning during this global pandemic. Well, certainly like everyone, I'm sure who's spoken to you, this is unprecedented. Um, everything that we're experiencing, I think for me at most, I thought we would be out of out of school maybe a month at the most, month and a half. And so it's sort of been unprecedented. The fact that young people are at home right now, um, they're home with their older brothers and sisters, with their brothers and sisters who were in high school, who were in college. And so we have um, just a, a bringing together of, of, of young folks. And we are actually getting a chance to see really visibly what kind of educational opportunities students really have. I know when things went, um, when, when uh, classrooms went virtual, now I have an opportunity to look in and listen. Oh, what is what does the professor in my nephew's classroom actually teach? What is actually happening in my in my kids' classroom? And so I think that this is a moment where issues around racial justice related to education and do all kids receive a high quality education? Does that actually happen? So that that to me is where we kind of are. Yeah, I think uh, opportunity is a word that you said there that is so important. And I wanted to start at the very beginning because I imagine there's some people who are tuning in and are asking the question, what does racial justice have to do with a global pandemic? That's a medical issue. That's something for our scientists and doctors to be figuring out. Why do those two stories relate together uh, as it relates to education? Great. And I'm glad folks are asking that question. I think what has happened with the global pandemic is that it has made clear, it has shown a light on inequities that exist. Um, inequities exist, obviously, in, in so all sorts of ways, but yeah, specifically related to race and with being a Black person and a person of color, it has become startlingly, startlingly clear for those who were not aware that um, the opportunities that African-American children, that many children, indigenous and Latinx children have, that those educational opportunities are not equal. And so when schools uh, sort of shut down and we saw young people who didn't have computers, 
They didn't have access to technology. Even if you sent them home with a Chromebook, they didn't have internet access in their home. So at the very basic level, even with just getting access to your learning and access to your teacher was was radically different than uh, it was for for many white students and for other students who may have more uh, more opportunities and more privileges. And so this has made this front and center. I, I think this is a, colli- a collision, so to speak, of, of a global pandemic and an educational issue. Would you say that um, then the, pri- the primary issues when it comes to opportunity are socioeconomic as they relate to race? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Uh, we know that um, African-American uh, children who go to um, middle-class schools or go to schools in middle-class communities or upper-middle-class communities, they are sharing the exact same sorts of challenges related to their children not getting fair treatment, to their children feeling that they are invisible in those spaces. In other words, their children are not acknowledged in the curriculum. Uh, their children are over-disciplined. And so in some ways, we can say that there is a socioeconomic issue, but it's really not only that. There is an issue around racism um, and it permeates our schools, not necessarily the kind of racism where we have a teacher calling a student out of their name. That doesn't really exist much. We don't really have those kinds of examples, but we have a much, much more pernicious form of racism, which is who gets selected for which courses, um, what type of... um, what type of disposition does a teacher have towards the uh, young people that are in their in their class? I apologize for that. Um, and so that is really it, it's beyond a, a socioeconomic issue, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, pandemic aside, obviously uh, these issues existed before we knew what coronavirus was. But I'd imagine that just the the struggle to try to correct some of those inequities is made that much more difficult because of the pandemic, because so many resources are now um, going toward just trying to keep schools going and distance learning and everything like that, that uh, many of these issues have probably been placed on the back burner or taken off the stove completely. Yes, in some ways they have. And that that makes, you know, obviously it makes a lot of sense. You have to make sure your students are are healthy. Um, But I'll give you one really important example I know when the pandemic first began, there was a lot of talk about make sure you socially distance um, children from their older grandparents and uh, just to make all this social distancing discussion. Well, so many families of color live in multi-generational homes. So how are you going to socially distance it? And how are your kids at your school going to socially distance if their family consists of grandmother, grandfather, great grandparents? And so if you're if you're a teacher, um, who really wants your your youngsters to be online watching you as you teach? Um, how are they going to do that if they live in a home that doesn't have separate rooms uh, where they're trying to socially distance from from um, grandparents and so so on and so forth? So yes, there it is. This is really um, a complex issue, but it's still so important that we get it right. Um, and as you look at some of the protests that have been going on across the country. It feels like a lot of that are about voices being heard and being understood and communication. Um, this obviously, you know, speaking remotely adds another layer yes. of sometimes difficulty and miscommunication yes. as well. And I imagine that's that's part of the issue. It is. Um, you know what I, I really feel? I, I spent a lot of time as a teacher 
I teach obviously at the, at the university level now, what I have really um, recognized is that it's so important to communicate with young people, com communicate with their families. A lot of the programming I do, even at the university level, it's really related to connecting with families. And that's another area around uh, racial justice that we can think about in terms of, of classroom practice and school practices. How much are parents brought into the experience? How much are they um, spoken to and, and um, communicated with so that people can see hey, I'm your teacher. I care about your student. I understand the type of challenges that, that students of color typically have. And so I, I, have, I have expertise. I can assist with this. That type of communication is, is important on any given day, but it's 10 times more important in a context where, where families are just struggling to, to eat, to pay rent, you know, if, if that makes sense. At the School of Leadership and Education Sciences at USD, obviously, uh, you're at the forefront at, at looking at these issues when it relates to teaching. So if there are teachers out there at, at any level, um, what are some recommendations, best practices uh, yeah. that, that can be passed along to make sure that students, especially students of color, are not left behind uh, during this pandemic? Great. Um, a lot of those are, are not so different than what you would do during a pandemic paying attention. We have a problem, unfortunately, in, in this country, we, we operate on this sort of colorblind ethos that I don't see color, so therefore color doesn't matter. And the truth is, it's great. I, I want us to all teach our children to respect all people um, and to respect them, um, wh whatever racial background, whatever your um, body type is, whatever it might be, I believe that we need to teach that. But at the same time, race does matter in the sense that you're more likely, if you're an African-American student, to be suspended, even for the same offense as a non-Black student. You're more likely to be placed in lower-tracked math classrooms if you are a student of color than if you are a white student. So there are ways in which race um, actually has impact on the experiences that students are given. And so the first thing student that teachers um, should do is really think about and reflect on their own practices. In what ways do I ignore race? Because maybe it's convenient for me. I don't want to see race. Um, I don't want to talk about um, the different um, array of students in my classroom. I don't really acknowledge that. But then at the same time, the same patterns are occurring in your own classroom or in your own school. So, so step back, reflect, look at the patterns. If there are more African-American children in your special, um, your special education program than they are in your gifted program, then this is a moment of reflection for, for you. If there historically have been more black children in your basketball program than in your engineering program, then you need to stop and think about that and reflect on it and think about the mechanisms that create that. And that's the kind of, that's really, it's the reflection and then the action on the reflection. Uh, what would you say um, to a teacher who, and I imagine this is probably the case often that are, they're coming from a good place. They're trying to look out for a student of color's best interest. And they think, I, I think the student, well, they'll, they'll be more comfortable in this setting and they may not get, or they may get passed over for the, as you said, the more, you know, the gifted uh, education programs. Uh, and it's not necessarily in terms of what someone would think of as racism or bias against, but a teacher who's trying to do the right thing. How do you avoid those biases? 
Yes, yeah, so that's a that's a great point. I think a lot of people are really, really afraid to lean into this discussion around race and racism because they don't want to be seen as 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 racist. And and I think it's really important to have, first of all, just to free all of us to have some nomenclature around what racism is and what it isn't. So racism is the individual offenses that maybe I as a black person might experience. For example, if someone calls me out of my name or calls me the N-word. But racism is also um, being overlooked, or it's also people not not noticing me, or it's the fact that there are deep patterns right here in San Diego, deep patterns around who gets access and who doesn't get access to high quality science classes, high quality math classes, high quality language arts classes. So to sort of make, I, I would suggest that that teacher sort of step back and and take it away from the personal. This is really not about do you personally like people of color. It's great that you do. And, and I, I think that so many teachers, they, they, obviously they do. But if we step away from the personal and say, let me think about this kid in relation to uh, them and their future and their community and their future. What is going to happen if this kid, if I don't lean in and give this kid a course that might be more challenging for them? That challenging course might wake that student up it might help that student engage in, in, a, in a more deep way with their education. A lot of kids are bored in school. They act out because the classes that they've been given are so, um, so depleted from engagement and activity and action that they have no other way to respond except to act out. So I would encourage teachers to push themselves to, to really depersonalize and say, you know what, let me think about this kid. I can say for myself personally, a lot of times in elementary and middle school, I was bored because my teachers underestimated me um, because they, they chose not to see. Um, and whether it was intentional or, or not, that was that was the case. And I finally ended up with teachers who looked at me and said, hey, you could go someplace. You can do some things. I'm going to give you this. And um, time and time again, we see that that white students are given more rigorous, more engaging experiences with education. So they have more things to lean into. And that's all we're asking for, for students of color. Yeah. If, um, you know, I, and I've probably been guilty of this myself, um, avoiding the topic, avoiding the conversation because uh, you're worried about saying the wrong thing or, yes. um, you know, being viewed as, as potentially racist unintentionally mm -hmm. that don't even open the door. What are some ways that uh, people not of color like myself can ask the right questions um, and be part of the solution rather than uh, putting their head in the sand or even worse, being part of the problem? Sure. You know, it's such a good question. I, you know, I worked, I taught middle school for years. So it is very hard with middle school kids to, to be anything other than your authentic self. And so I would just sort of open up and have conversations with kids. I would, I would actually ask them things like, you know, what do you think about this? I heard this in the news or I saw this or I noticed this. Um, one 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 thing I have talked about a lot. I, I help raise my my two nephews who are now um, co college age, and uh, they in their high schools, lots of the kids on their basketball team were always African American, even though very few kids at the school were black. And I would have conversation with them. I would just bring it up and say, "Hey, can you help me understand that? What do you think about this? Um, let's let's talk." Um, and I think that's the first step is saying, "You know what? I don't know the answers." But I have some questions and I'm seeing this and that genuineness and being willing to be corrected if you're wrong. I've learned a lot from listening to teenagers about 
my perceptions of, of race and racism. And they're able to educate me and say, hey, that might be how it was when, when you were um, coming along or when you were in school, but that's not how I see it. And listening and actually not being afraid to ask the question is a huge, huge, <laughs> uh, it would do, a lot, do us uh, really well. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the issues, uh, specifically African-Americans uh, in the school system, but there are other minorities, people of color as well. Do the, do the issues tend to be the same, uh, whether we're talking Hispanic um, or other minorities that African-Americans face, or are those challenges often unique to different um, minority groups of color? Thank you so much for that question. They are unique. They they are, hey, I'm a professor, so I'm going to go ahead and say they're the same and they're unique. It's complex. And I know people sometimes hate to hear that, but it's the truth. Um, so, for example, um, obviously, African-Americans history in this country is not we didn't immigrate to this country. And a lot of times folks, they will see the immigrant story and they will look at it as look at those amazing immigrants. They worked hard and they have made it to the top. And so how come blacks can't be like them? And that, that happens a lot, unfortunately, where different groups of color are pitted against one another. So number one, yes, the African-American story is unique. There is no other story. Um, there is no other group of people who have come into this nation in the same way. There's no other group of people that has, has had to sort of, um, when they came to this country, they didn't automatically have the vote, for example. Um, African-Americans got the vote after most folks who immigrated to this country got the vote. Um, and so, yes, there is something very unique about the Black story. And I would encourage um, teachers and educators to really learn the African-American story, because I really don't think a lot of people know it truthfully. On the other hand, there are a lot of similarities um, in our stories and the Latinx community and African-Americans and many Southeast Asian communities get very similar treatment in school. They, they do not, um, they are not in schools that have the most resources. They have to really struggle to get access to college, um, college preparation. And so there are some other, some other ways in, um, in which these stories are very similar and that we have to really lean in and and help those students, particularly those who um, have the challenge of maybe their parents didn't go to college. So there's other challenges on top of it. How, how much more difficult is this challenge right now? I, I'm looking at the comments and I, I certainly understand that um, everyone is struggling right now, regardless of color through this pandemic. Distance learning uh, is hard for everyone and um, they'll say, uh, the, yeah, the the disease doesn't know black from white. Uh, it, it's it's just a disease that's infecting everyone. Shouldn't we all be handling this the same way? How do how do you respond to people who are like, this is not the time to be focusing on racial justice. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Yes, you know, um, I would say that it is always a time to focus on racial justice in season, out of season, when it's convenient. A year from now, people might not be talking about this issue, but we still have to. Um, America, unfortunately, its roots are in a very racist system, which has basically rendered uh, an entire population of people um, very different and distanced from the American dream. Um, obviously, my great-grandparents, my grandparents, they could, they could not even acquire wealth and acquire land until into the 20th century. And so this, so while it is inconvenient, and I think people understand that there's an inconvenience 
Um, it is not, even the pandemic is not equally shared. For example, if you are a group of people who have jobs that you had to go to work during the pandemic, then you have been more susceptible to the virus. And I have heard so many folks in the media say, uh, the reason why Blacks have more uh, COVID is because they have more pre, you know, these, these conditions that pre, um, th that basically put them in, in, a, in a bad situation so that they're more likely to get the disease and to have a bad impact from the disease. But the truth is a lot of African-Americans and a lot of folks in the Latino community, they have jobs where they've had to be on the front line. So they were more susceptible, mainly because they had, they, they had to be on the front line and this is a pernicious disease. And, and that's why they were impacted because they had to get up and go to work every day. While a lot of folks, if you're, if you are part of the middle class, you worked from home. If you went out, it was your choice, but you worked from home. And so you were less susceptible because you were, you had less exposure. So, um, this is, we can choose to ignore it. Hey, I, I choose to live in a society where if every child is educated well, I feel safer. If every child has good access to high quality education, then we are better and stronger as a nation. So we can choose to walk away and look away if we want, but it's just going to come right back to us, you know, in, in the next in the next year, in the next month. So that's my choice. Dr. Spencer, you're going to pivot just a little bit, and I'm going to let everyone know that tomorrow on our Ask the Experts series, we're going to be actually talking to some of your colleagues yeah. about uh, STEAM and, and STEM education, science and technology here during the age of COVID. But I know one of your specific areas of study is mathematics education, and I kind of wanted to give you the floor here because uh, when it comes to distance learning for uh, people and families of all colors, that can be the most scary scary part of education. Math at home can be difficult. And now, especially when they don't have that resource of going in person to the teacher uh, in this time when, when distance learning is prevalent, I know it terrifies some parents out there that they're not going to be able to keep their kids up on math education. So I'm going to give you the floor to talk a little bit about mathematics education right now, especially here during the pandemic. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you guys are in for a great treat hearing from my colleagues. Uh, tomorrow we do we've been doing stem and steam based work at usd for years now and it is a, a pleasure um, and a delight um, what i would say to parents related to math mathematics and math education i think folks really recognize the power that mathematics holds within the curriculum in our middle schools and high schools so what we what we know is that if a if a young person gets placed into um an upper division math class in eighth or ninth grade, then we know that that class is going to then allow them to get into the next class that is gonna help them get into college, so on and so forth. And then the flip side is if your if you're, uh, seventh or eighth grader doesn't get placed into the right math class, then their chances of being eligible for college for five years down the line, it decreases. And so parents are anxious and, and stressed around what math class does my student get? They have to get an A, they have to understand. And th those issues are only heightened in a, in a scenario where opportunities in education are not equally distributed, are not, are not distributed evenly based on the different racial um, groups and cultural groups that we have in school. So one thing I would say, and, and this, is, this is really hard for parents to do this, especially at a time that is so stressful, is to actually have your kids have fun with mathematics, buy math games, 
let kids play with math toys at a young age, help them to see math not only as the curriculum that is being given. And then I would also challenge parents to do that as well, because there's so much stress around, does my kid know their multiplication facts? That matters, but we actually know that it's not the only thing that matters. And actually, there are a lot of uh, games and toys and, and, and even songs that one could make up to help students learn those math facts. But more importantly, we want them to enjoy math and to not cringe, which is what most people do, unfortunately. And, and it's my goal for people to really see math in a much broader way. I'd be happy to share resources with, with, with parents that things that they can do when their kids are young. Now, as your kids get into middle school and high school and it comes down to algebra and geometry, trigonometry, uh, the calculus, uh, then, then that's when you, people often feel like they have to buckle down. But I would even say pressing in even more, thinking about what, what games can students play? What other ways can kids access ways of thinking about this same topic but not in a way that is the standard curriculum that's just, you know, read this, do these three problems. Those things really push kids away from math as opposed to pushing them towards math. And, and one last thing I'll say about it, actually maybe not the last thing because I love this topic, is um, a, a, a lot of times we don't allow students who aren't performing well in math to take other high quality STEM classes. So if you don't, if you're not in algebra two, you can't take physics. You can't take the engineering course. That's a mistake because sometimes a child might not be interested in mathematics, but because they took an engineering course or because they took a computer science course, it made them get interested in mathematics. So really loosening up those uh, really stringent uh, processes that we have in a lot of schools that the tracks is, are so uh, limited oh, well, you didn't finish your algebra class, so you can't take any of this other fun STEM uh, programming work. Well, that's a mistake. We have to expose kids, those who are doing well, those who are challenged by it, just, just give it and let them play with it. I'm going to finish this up by going full circle and taking something you mentioned about uh, math classes, how not getting the opportunity uh, to get into those advanced math classes early then have the cumulative effect yeah. as kids go on and talking about early opportunity. And it is amazing because um, even in my perspective, I've, you know, I've been the sports director at Channel 10 for uh, almost 20 years now. Uh, there's been studies in sports that kids who uh, happen to just be a half year older at age six, um, because they're a little taller and a little more athletic than their six month younger person who otherwise is exactly the same. They get onto the better teams, they get the better coaching, and then the gap just continues to widen. That's in athletics, but it sounds like the exact same thing kind of happens in education. So my last question to you is here, how important is it to address these issues as early as possible, you know, kindergarten, pre-K, uh, to make sure that that gap that may start very small doesn't continue to expand as kids continue to go through the education system? It's super important, and we have to shift our perspective as educators. If I pigeonhole a five-year-old and say, well, you didn't know how to read when you were five and a half, and therefore, since you didn't know how to read then, then you get this other lower version of a class next year, as you can imagine, the cumulative effect is huge, and the same is true for math. Well, you didn't know your timetables when you were 10. 
So therefore you don't get the pre-algebra class and then you don't get this class. Those are mistakes. Just because a child maybe did not memorize their, uh, their, their multiplication facts when they were 10 doesn't mean that memorizing them at 13 can't move them into um, an amazing career in, in engineering or science or wherever they want to study. I, I'm not um, suggesting that STEM is the only area that, that folks can go into, but it's those early decisions. And a lot of those unfortunately happen with kids of color um, and those early decisions. And then at the end of 12th grade, when we look at our colleges, especially here in San Diego, and we wonder, where are the African-American kids in our universities? Where are the Latin, Latino and Latinx kids and the uh, indigenous kids? Well, it happened earlier, many years earlier, when people made small, um, they made huge decisions for very small bits of evidence. I think um, it's a great eye-opening discussion um, that if you really listen, you go, oh, I do, I do sort of understand that. I didn't, I didn't totally get that uh, topic when it comes to racial justice before, but uh, if you really stop and, and take some time to communicate, uh, the issues do become much more clear. And I have to thank you, Dr. Joyce Spencer uh, from USD for joining us today and uh, illuminating us on, on the subject. And hopefully uh, uh, we can use this information going forward. Thanks for taking part in our Ask the Expert series. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. And uh, looking forward to talking to your colleagues tomorrow at 930. We'll have another uh, Ask the Experts session, as I said, uh, STEAM and STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, education, which uh, oftentimes requires hands-on, labs, um, things like that, that become so much more difficult here in the era of COVID-19, uh, some ways that we can try to overcome here in the next few months as our kids are, are trying to do the distance learning thing from home. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you once again for joining us here on our ABC 10 News Facebook Live session. I'm Ben Higgins. Have a great day.